Golfers have a strange relationship with their clubs. At best, an extension of themselves. At worst, a weapon to be used to express anger and displeasure at a game that we're supposed to be having fun at. Today, we talk about the source of all good and evil in the world of golf and the love-hate relationship with our clubs on a helicopter the wedge in the pond episode <laughs> of Swing Thoughts. Helico- this is the helicopter a wedge in the pond episode. Tim O'Connor, ladies and gentlemen. Howard Glassman. Tim O'Connor. I'm tired of telling people why we're doing the show. People just know you. If you're on, ep- we're, on we're on episode what? 56. There we go. We're on episode 6. 6, not 56. I think six. people want to figure out why we have, uh, why we're doing this. Just to Google us. Okay. Tim writes about golf. He's a mental performance coach. And I'm just a freaking golf nerd. Um, have you ever thrown a club in anger? Tell me you have, please. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, I have. Yes. Like, when's the last time you, like, literally lost your mind and threw a club? Lost my mind. Totally lost my mind. Just chucked it. Uh, I would say probably last year. Yeah, so, yeah. Sometime, even last year, me, mental performance coach. I, yes. I was going to point that I'm out. I'm a human being. Cut me, I bleed. Yes. Well, that's the thing is that, you know... Um, it's not that you ever overcome, you know, you never become perfect in the mental game of golf or in life or anything else. But, but that just goes to show you that even along the, the road to enlightenment in terms of your mental game, there's going to be times when we all just get mad. You know, I remember uh, telling Tim a story last summer. Just it was like a week before I played, you know, some of my best golf. I, I remember saying to Tim, I said, I just got so mad. Like, so angry that it was uh, almost comical. I beat my driver yes, into the ground. Remember this? I said, Tim, I said, I don't know what happened to me. But I just got so frustrated. And I thought, here I am. I'm like 55 years old. I've got RSPs. <laughs> I don't really have to worry about that much. I'm prepared for my future. Exactly. I have a will. <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm, I'm so angry at the ground with this driver. It was, uh, I remember calling you and saying, well, that, uh, that wasn't... Uh, that wasn't very good. wasn't very mature. That wasn't very mature. Um, the reason we're talking about golf clubs today is that there's, as I said, you know, there's such an extension of what we do in the game of golf. And uh, with us, may, our very first uh, returning panelist today you get is... get plaque. He should. Yeah. You know, when you've been doing a show as long as we have with a deep, rich history of five episodes in our... <laughs> In our archives. Coffee mug, at least. Well, uh, he is the uh, full-time junior coach, PGA Tour, uh, PGA of Canada professional, uh, is a, uh, a great, really an accomplished player and a, uh, a great uh, guy as well as a great teacher, uh, Alf Callowhill. Is that how you pronounce it? That is close enough. Alf? I'm very happy to be back. Alf's back, along with the... Uh, and I, I've been waiting to get this character on our show since we decided that we were going to talk about golf because he's a, he's a plus eight talking about golf guy. He's <laughs> the manager. What's that? That means very good. Yes, he's the manager of custom fitting for tailor-made performance labs and centers. He's also a PGF Canada professional and master fitter, a former golf uh, standout at Sam Houston State University, and uh, he's from Winnipeg, which is cool for me because, you know, I'm, cool. from, I'm from Moose Jaw. So that's like, ooh, Winnipeg, that's a big city. <laughs> <laughs> Say hi to Stu Bannantine. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Hi, buddy. Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. I asked Stu a question. We were out for dinner one night. I asked Stu a question. 
And then like two and a half hours later, he said, okay, anything else you want to know about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Stu's been around golf. Al's been around golf. I asked the same question I asked uh, Timmy. When's the last time you, Stu, ever, th- you know, either, you know, threw a club in anger, beat a club? And then I'm going to ask you, when's the last time you broke a club? Oh, well, I was going to answer that I've probably broken more golf clubs than most people have had in their lives. But uh, <laughs> you learn, I guess, a little bit when you stop playing as competitively that it's not that big a deal. Um, but oh, really? to say that I haven't helicoptered a few clubs into ponds in my life would be a, a complete outright lie. So, well, no, wait, I'm, wait a second. Did we not? We played in a couple tournaments last year. One, we, we did. We, we played. Yeah. For, no, we played one tournament, but then we played as partners in a couple of games. And uh, I remember. Some in some round you were got you got a little frustrated, like frustrated for you, not like not crazy, but you were definitely yeah yeah you know there's a level of uh, anger that arrives anytime you don't hit a good one and yeah and, and certainly when you have unrealistic expectations every time you play because you still think you're playing on tour you still think that you're playing in college it's uh, it's pretty easy to fire one up and the cool thing about Stu though is that he can really break a club he can just go in and fix it himself yeah, well that's the nice thing right when you work when you work for a golf manufacturer and you know how to build them it's easy to break because you can you know when you're a kid and they go on your dad's oh, yeah. account at St. Oh, Charles or whatever and yeah. uh, he finds out every time you break one it's a little harder so I'm going to come back to because uh, I, I, uh, I I just remembered another incident where I got pretty angry literally on the second last day of the golf season. This was the 4th of December, four months ago. But I'm going to ask uh, Alf, because uh, you play a lot of competitive golf, and even though you're a teacher and a pretty uh, level-headed dude and you've got a good sense of the mental game, when's the last time you got, like... To my memory, I have to assume it was 10, 15 years ago. It's been a while. Um, okay, well, I don't normally swear on the show, but I would say bullshit. No, that's a, it, I think that's the truth. <laughs> To my recollection, I did used to throw them a lot, you know, a lot, but uh, a fair bit when I was younger in uh, high school days, let's say, as just a young kid. But I, I did actually, through the awareness of trying to be a better mental player, tried to actively change that uh, that behavior. So, but I would have to say, and I mean this in a, in, sincerely, that's great. Uh, although, if, even somebody, as I mentioned earlier, if you have a great, even if you have a great mental approach. There are going to be times when you're going to, you know, get angry, except if you're Alf. Al- <laughs> Alfie Ben Kenobi. Of course, everyone, everyone gets angry. but Except the, Alf. The, no, no. I just, I think I've, I actually have trained myself to, um, I don't know what the right word would be, Tim, here. Accept. But, uh, accept. To, to accept that and just move on. And to know that's not good for me as a player. For sure. To do it. Well, and... and uh, no, that's 100%. I mean, obviously, if you could get to that nirvana state of awareness. So I'm playing uh, in Florida, playing pretty well. You know, I've had a lot of good rounds. And then uh, I think I've, I've told all three of you, I was like getting under par, like well under the round, like a couple under 13 holes, one under 14 holes. And it was one of those rounds where I was two under with like four to play and uh, bogey three of the last four, whatever it was. And on the... Second last hole, I got so mad at the putter that I just hammered it into the ground. <laughs> and then a couple weeks ago, I saw Stu. I said, hey, Stu, uh, is there anything we can do with this? And he just looked at it. <laughs> Stu looked at it and got all like, what the hell, man? What have you done? Because uh, I thought I had bent it back. 
<laughs> and when you is there, and you you were like, I think we can uh, we we can get you another putter or something. Well, sometimes that's the best option. Right? Yeah. Putter time's supposed to have twelve degrees of loft on. <laughs> that's right. And it was I got and I, as soon as I did it, I was horrified because I was like, I got to play one more round. I was trying to jam it back straight. Just use your three iron. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, that's not the optimum. You don't want to. But every once in a while, I mean. As you, even you, who's Tim's uh, all about the mental performance, even you get angry. Yeah, it's totally natural. I mean, if anyone expects that when you play this game, you can be totally blissed out and nothing's going to bother you, that just ain't life, man. And that ain't golf. But it's how you respond and just let it go. That's the key piece. You can, yeah, get angry, but just let it go. A few expletives. I didn't say that right. Um, or just. You can just let it go, but then it's just how do you respond and just get on with it. That's the key. Well, that's the biggest learning for me and a lot of people is that you're going to get angry from time to time. It's what you do on. It's what you do from that moment. Um, it's funny because after I bent that putter, I hit a great drive in the next hole, which is what I've learned. Because there was a time where I would have bent that putter and then I would just ordered more beer. Um, but it's really about how you respond to it. Would you not agree, Alf? Yeah, I would, but my question would be, why do you have to get angry? You don't have to. I know to. people do, Yeah, but maybe you don't even have to get angry in the first place. That would place. be the ultimate. That would we'll be call the that, ultimate. We'll call that ALF level. <laughs> Everything back from ALF level, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm never going to let you forget the fact that you went, it's been 15 years since you got I, angry. I don't even know how you got no, asked no, back. No, no, How did you get since asked back? Since I threw back? a club. Since oh, I threw, threw a, a club. club. Right. When's the last and time you got angry then? I'm, happens at <laughs> some point throughout the summer, for sure. <laughs> maybe. Um, but I, I, I think growing to, I think it's because I'm maybe more comfortable as a person and a golfer that, you know, if I'm not playing well, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to prove to someone else that I'm 100%. actually a good player. You know what I mean? Sure. So, no, I get that. I don't know. I just accept it and golf's fun. Okay. Well, I'm glad we cleared that. So you, but you still, obviously, the, like the whole, I, you know, there's, the, I, there's a, a passage in this uh, thing I've been reading about uh, quieting your mind. And they talk a lot about, it's, a, it's a, basically a how-to in terms of meditation. And one of the things I read, which has reminded me of golf, is it's not, it's not can you quiet your mind. It's that you never give up trying. And that's really the key for me as somebody that gets excited about the game is that it's fine to get angry for me, but it's what you do with it after it's over. And that idea is, yeah, you attempt to continue to learn to to maybe not get angry. Um, What about you? Stu, you played college golf. You played professional golf. Um, You're from Winnipeg, which makes you angry to start with. (laughs) (laughs) You know. So what was your early golf like in terms of the way you approached it and how angry you got at your clubs and... You know, I uh, if you met my dad, you'd understand I come by it honestly a little bit. My dad's a, uh, you know, 10-second anger after the shot, let it out, be done with it kind of thing. And and so, I mean, I, I remember, as a, as a quick story, I, I hit one in the middle of the fair, 18th hole, Manitoba Amateur one year. I hit one probably 75 yards left to where it should have gone. Dead in the middle of the fairway. Great chance to go for par 5 and 2 and hit this wild snipe. And hit it out of bounds, dropped another one, hit it on the green, snapped the hybrid and was walking. He snapped the club. Yeah, no joke. And and, and dad's on the bag, right? So dad's on the bag and we're walking and and I got about 100 yards ahead and I looked back and I thought, 
probably shouldn't have broken a club in front of my dad. And I said, Dad, I said, I'm really sorry about that. He goes, no problem. If you didn't, I was going to snap it. So, <laughs> you know, I, I come by it honestly. I've, I've seen my dad. I've fixed a number of my dad's clubs. I've, uh, But you know what? My dad was a very good player. Yeah. Uh, he, he accomplished things that I could have only hoped that I did at some point in my life, uh, which I haven't yet. But... You know, when he, uh, I always learned from him that it was, it was, if you're going to get angry, get angry, move on, right? Let it out, be done with it, and then go back to your process, go back to what you're doing. Don't sit there, don't let it build up, don't let kind of. Well, don't let it linger. I mean, what to, to what I was sort of saying in response to Alf, you're right. You know, if you're completely comfortable and you're completely in control of quieting that mind, but even the people, even people that have been practicing meditation for their entire lives, never completely. Do it. It's the it's in the process of trying to do it, and maybe with the way you feel on the golf course, Alf. Now is that well, you know, your awareness is around. I mean, you can tell me I'm wrong, but your awareness is around. Well, that it's nothing's that important, and really, I'm just playing a game, which is what we all yeah. kind of strive to get to. I think I think you're correct in that. I think golf's such a great um, microcosm of life, right? Alf's yeah. a chill guy. Alf's really easy going. Alf's like very laid back. So you watch his golf and it's a reflection of his personality. A good friend of mine that, that was a very, very good player as well. He, he always told me, you know, don't let your game change depending on your situation. So I'm high strung. I'm going all the time. I'm a thousand miles a minute. So that's how I play golf. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I played pro golf, I mean, about two, three, four months in, I'm looking at my par five scoring and it's awful. <clears throat> right. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, why am I such a bad par five player when I used to kill it in amateur golf? And it's like, well, because I started trying to play pro golf. I started trying to lay up. I started trying to be calm. Oh, For me, yeah. if I was 280 out with water to carry or something wrong, I'd pull driver off the deck and let it go, right? And that's how I played golf. And if you if you try to change your personality when you're on the golf course... No, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Alf's, you know, obviously you, you play, uh, you vibrate at a different level. Um, the, the point of the show is that it, no matter what you're level of golf or vibration as a person is, you know, either you, you want to certainly be true to yourself, but for those people that are listening that, you know, are a little bit more mercurial, they have up and down emotions on the golf course. I mean, for, for the times I've been working with Tim and, and for the, the lifetime of learning about the mental side, it's definitely made a difference in how I score on the golf course because I'm able to have a meltdown briefly and then move on and hit a good shot. So when you're talking to somebody and you assess their personality... Does that inform how you're going to work with them in terms of what they can accomplish? Absolutely. They have to be true to themselves. It's right. like Nick Price played at a high intensity, right? Or like a Larry Mize, he, you know, back to the 80s and 90s there. Just a slow guy, you know, and that's the way. And you have to be true to yourself, what's comfortable for you. And I think the litmus test is when you're standing over a shot. What do you feel? Mm-hmm. If you feel if it's go and everything's saying go, then go. But if there's a part of you that's tense, just doesn't feel right, then listen to that. Mm-hmm. That's being aware of what's going on. Do you, uh, Alf, like, do you have a, it's funny, uh, Stewie mentioned that sort of go, no-go situation. Um, part of being quieter during a round of golf and maybe especially in competition or when you're playing a game is that if, if you're, if you're quieter, quieter in your mind, you're able to make better decisions. Do you have a is, – is, but is there a mechanical – if it's 270, I'm going for it. If it's – is there a thing or is it depend on the situation? Um, it depends a lot about on what's – Or how you front, feel that day? the green, how I feel that day. A whole, whole bunch of factors that change daily. But mostly – there you go. Mostly um, standard, if I was – let's say if I had to carry something 240 – um, and like there was water in front, whatever it may be, um, I would probably lay up and just stay short and use a wedge. Even though, what about if we were playing just for fun? 
Uh, it depends what I'm feeling. If I'm feeling good, I'll have Adder. Because, I mean, I can, I can obviously do yes, that. Yes, you can. But uh, is the risk worth it? The reason uh, I say that is I've, I've, I've actually said this to myself or just joking with somebody else. If, we, if I'm in a tournament or a men's night or playing for money, I'll make a decision based on percentages that are different than if I was just goofing around with you. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and and is, that a, is, that, is that a good thing? Probably not. Because that, that becomes habit-forming, too, right? It, so now you start making those decisions when you think it matters. But that's what air, I mean. Air quotes. Well, it's like the hardest thing ever is playing a, a competitive event at your home golf course. Yeah. You know, when you get oh, out yeah. there and you have to, all of a sudden, you try to either change completely how you play the golf Where course. Where you normally hit it. Or what you normally hit off the tee or anything. It's so weird to, you know, you watch Davis Love at McGladry. He talked about that as home course. And he goes, I've never hit three iron off this tee in my entire life, but I hit right. three iron because it's a PGA Tour event. Right. And, and you wonder, is that good? Is that bad is it well that's what i was saying like should your attitude always be um based on how i feel what the conditions are or not is this a fun event am i playing my buddy tim twilight round you know what i mean or because a lot of times you'll make decisions on this uh not the severity but the importance of a round where really the and no round is more important than any other theoretically it's always it's always got to be about fun for sure if you're out playing with a buddy, you're in a scramble or something, you go for it. Have some fun. But overall, it, how you're approaching the game is like Alf was saying. We do the same things over and over again. So if we're playing in a if we change our style because we're into a tournament, then you're going to do a disservice to the way you usually are. And you've you got to get your reps in. I use that phrase all the time. I was going to say, too, a lot of guys uh, in their fun games, they'll hit shots that really we know they shouldn't try to attempt. Right, and they don't pull it off, and now they make a double or triple. They end up shooting. Then it's not so much fun anymore. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, then they end up shooting eighty-five or eighty-six instead of possibly eighty-one or eighty-two, which shouldn't make a big difference to the their thoughts after, but it does. Right? How you identify with that round? Sure. After, but I mean, I, you know, the funny thing is whether we're talking about a fun round or your normal round or whatever round. Uh, your decision-making should be fairly universal. I mean, the example Timmy used, in a scramble, obviously, it's different because we're, you know, it, but I try and look at it, what do I want to do in a day? I want to like to maybe, for me, I would like to score as lowly, lowly, as low as I can, <laughs> um, but number one is to have fun doing it. Um, I make my decisions now differently than I did when I was in my 30s and 40s because then I was completely uh, mentally deficient and... Uh, be kind. Be if, kind. If you guys Howard. think that I vibrate at a higher level now, you should have seen me then because I was ridiculous. Golf was not a game for me, and uh, I enjoyed it despite the fact that I hated myself. Uh, continue. I'm listening to no. your problems. Um, it always comes down to me to intention. If I go into a scramble, I know this is going to be fun. Right. This isn't going to be my normal game. I'm just going to have a blast, and we're going to have a really good time. And I can attempt shots I never attempt. But if my intention in going out, even in a casual or, or uh, a regular kind of round, is that I want to score well, well, then I'm going to play at a, at a way that's consistent with how I want to show up in tournaments because it starts with intention and what I want to do. Um, was it, I'm not sure if it was Carl Morris or somebody else that had a great phrase for somebody with a good short game. And they said they're, I think it was either they're stingy or they're very thrifty. Thrifty. Um, the idea that you, you're trying to get the ball in the hole in the least amount of strokes also informs the way you might go for or not go for something. I mean, one of the things that I used to say about Tiger Woods, and I'm, you know, I didn't invent this, but a lot of pros could, could have pulled off some of the shots he hit. 
Just not when the U.S. Open's on the line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, Stu, you played in some tournaments at college and, and as a professional golfer. Um, you, you talked about changing the way you played par fives. What about the way you just played versus when you were – because most of us haven't prepared for a professional tournament. So when you're preparing for one, are you sitting there plotting going, well, this par five, if I'm here, I'm going to go for it. If, this is, if it's a short par four, if it's downwind, I'm going to do this. I think you have to. I think you have to, you know, be ready when you get out there so that you're not thrust into a very uncomfortable situation. But at the same point, you got to dance with the girl you brought. You know, for me, yeah. it was always I, I relied on hitting it hard and, and feeling comfortable with my driver. And if I drove it well, I played well. And that was basically the, the caveat to, to my success was hit it straight, hit it far, take advantage of it. Okay, so are you saying that you could go in with a game plan? That on 13, I'm going to hit three wood, whatever, and I'm going to cut it off this, this bunker. But in the, say you don't have your cut going that day, how do you adjust mid-round? You know what? I, I think you've always – you prepare to go back to the things you know you can do. And so if you're standing there and you're trying to do something that's out of your comfort range and you're trying to change things up, it's hard. You know, you gotta you got to stand there and go, okay, I might try to cut that off the bunker, but I'm better off just trying to blow it over the bunker with a driver and, and, and hitting it. That's my shot, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the And say to what's true to you. No question. I mean, golf is such a funny game because we try to do things – that we've done once we've done twice we know it's capable we know it's there and it's the only sport in the world that we can we can basically achieve the same success as the best in the world at any given time you know i I use this in fitting all the time the third hole at glen abbey my mom who hits her driver 160 yards she could hit her driver from the back tees knock it on the green make a two at glen abbey and beat anybody in the world at any given time but over 10 times She's going to make sevens and eights and sixes and all those things. And the best players in the world are going to make twos and threes all the time. No, you're right. That It is unique about golf is that there's no other sport where you could, for a moment, be as good as an NBA player. I mean, I mean, you could you know keep going. And then you could be as good as a curler. You could draw the... Um, I want to ask Alf a question. Do you think it's... What I asked, when I asked uh, Stu about preparing for a round, do you think that an average club member, and we always use our 18 handicapper, our 15 to 18 handicapper, do you think they would benefit from having a plan playing their home course so that decisions aren't made in, out of emotional or I've just made triple? I'll say yes. Um, I think it would be more important to for them to maybe identify the three or four holes that they habitually play poorly right and maybe make a, a better plan from there and it could be entirely different what they normally do yeah um but you know they're making double or triple on that hole give yourself a chance where you know one decision might help you make bogey at worse and then give you a chance at your par mm. that's probably i think would be more effective for the, those guys i love that thought because mo- and most players wouldn't do that if it's a 390 yard par four that they normally have trouble because the second shot's got a bit of a carry over some water or their tee shot gives them trouble and you said listen your average score on this hole is seven this year but if you only te- if you teed off with a five iron would they do it well, probably well, not because they, well, they, they, they didn't want to look stupid in front no, of well, that might not be the best thing anyway you hit five iron off the tee you know, there's uh, all these stats now these days, yep. and they'll say that you are delaying the difficulty of the hole, right? You're just going to have a harder shot for your second shot now than you would if you hit driver. So at some point, you have to be able to, you know, play a little bit aggressive 
get the ball down there as far as you can uh, while weighing the the risks. And I, I, I disagree with you completely. Uh, and I disagree why. with you completely. Fire here's away. why. <laughs> um, because if the, if the trouble for an 18 handicap, and I, I'm being yeah. partly facetious. Yeah, I yeah. don't totally disagree with it. But you're you're saying that based on having any ability to hit driver in a difficult spot at a point in the round. Like there's a hole at Glen Karen that I see guys. Um, you know, it's funny because I still can't identify if it's on Scotch Block or Space Side or everything. Glen Karen near Toronto, right? <laughs> it's right. We go all over. This podcast is heard worldwide. Um, yeah, but mostly it's just heard by the guys we know how to play at Club Link, <laughs> so I figure they know where Glen Karen is. Um, but my point is, there's lot. There's the the trouble on that hole could be completely avoided without hitting anything longer than because the three wood driver play now the hole's over for most people and they don't have the ability to recover after the initial shot that goes askew and i i would understand with you on that and possibly that would be the better play um, but then you're also assuming that you know they are going to hit that five iron more solid than they would a driver which at an 18 handicap you don't know i think a lot of times it has to do with force carries and whether someone thinks on an optimal day i can hit it you know 230 or where with my driver or with a three wood well, whereas it's making this the smart play, making it, but I think really key piece is asking a question. What's a different way to play this hole? Right. A lot well, of players don't ask themselves questions. There's different. That's a great point. What's do? a different way to play this? If I, and I remember, I started by saying on your point, if your average score in a hole is double or triple, there's if you just could just get your head around a different way of playing it. But what's funny is, is is you hit the nail right on the head. You've talked about 18 handicappers and doubles and triples. It's the fixation on par that's the problem. Is that if you told someone to score the lowest that they could score on that hole, they don't try to make par. And if you're a double or triple guy and you're a you know 100 shooter, you're making double on every hole. If you told them, eliminate one shot each hole, it's hitting a 7-iron instead of a 3-wood. It's, right. it's all of those things, and it's amazing at every level because it's the same thing as, a, as you know I'm talking about professional golf, going for par fives and two, trying to make eagle in my mind was, well, I'm not going to make six if I lay up all the time. That's right? right. I'm only going to make par, except if I'm a brutal wedge player, which I am, and then all of a sudden I'm not <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, yeah, yeah. hitting good shots. You should see so many about your wedges. Feet. But it's, you know, it's, it's amazing because the fixation on par is the biggest problem. And we see it no, all the time for people that, you know, if they, if they can only hit it, you know, their second shot 30 yards short of the green, but they're an awful pitcher, which most high handicap players struggle, you know, inside 100 yards. Mm-hmm. They hit, they leave themselves in those spots all the time that instead of taking three to get down, they take four. That's right. And if they could hit a seven iron and their margin of error might actually be smaller because they make a full swing as opposed to a half shot, their scores go down. But this fixation on, oh, I have to get there in two shots and two putt or one and two putt, it's unbelievable. And hold that thought because I think it's also applicable to lower handicap as it's, well. It's about judgment. It's about concern about what the other guys I'm playing with That's are going to say and what mm-hmm. they're going to think of me and your own judgment about what the what I should do here. It's a par four. I should make four. Well, one of the best advi- pieces of advice I ever got was from Ben Kern. He was an icon of Canadian golf, professionally died about 10 years ago. But he used to say to me, don't even, par doesn't matter here. It does not matter. But 
we have this fixation in golf of making judgments about that was a good shot, that was a bad shot. And as soon as we start making judgments, then emotions come into play and everything kind of And as you said, Tim, not only judgments about ourselves, but judgment about how someone will see me if I don't hit the traditional shot on this hole. We have a, Mm -hmm. I have a friend, you guys um, probably met him, Tim Southcott's his name. And and, and Tim, he's a great, he's a, you know, one handicap. But one of the things I I have learned from playing with him, and I always joke with him, he's got a real, he doesn't care what you think about what club he's hitting on any hole, any time. And I always say, like, Tim Southcott golf, there's a lot to learn from that because even at one at, at a one handicap level, so a very fine player, 17th at the Nationals, 460. Uh, he, you know, when he plays the Invitational, there it's 465, and he says to me, "I'm never playing for four here." You know, if I make four, great, but I'm playing for what I can achieve on this hole, which is, you know, he hits his driver a certain length, hits his hybrid in front of the green. He's a great, great uh, pitcher of the ball, and he might make four. He's not making worse than five. But that attitude is rare amongst good players and high handicap players. Yeah, and that's a good way to look at it. Because he, he, I don't think he's sitting there saying it necessarily changes his strategy, right? Because he's still trying to get up there close to the green chip on a putt. Right. He's just saying that I'm accepting the fact that for me a five here is good and that's yeah, not yeah. going to get in my way. And, and five and four is better awesome. than six, right? Well, and yeah. that's the thing is most guys, see, most guys, you know, he's the uh, same age as me, but, you know, most guys play with younger players, you know, they're all hitting, you know, big drives in that hole. And, and from those tees that, you, that they play the Invitational on, 460, you've got to hit it pretty good to even get it out there near the 150, he's saying, oh, I can't do that. You know, on a good drive for him there in that hole, might be 245, 250, and he's still got a couple hundred in to an, a raised green. He's going, I don't have that shot. But I love the fact that he accepts that before he plays the hole. Well, there's also, uh, I'm not at ALF level where I can play without being concerned about That's right. That'll par. be the new ALF uh, Gandhi level of golf is ALF. What would I'm going to get a bracelet that says, what would Alf do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but a really nice piece that I learned years ago was about personal par. Right. Yeah. Huge. It's just like, what's my personal par? Yeah. So uh, the eighth hole at Blue Springs, tough par four. If I make a five on that, yeah, that that's great. One, that's the one uh, dog leg right yeah. over the water. And the, yeah, it's a great, no place great to par miss. four. And those are the things that, you know, you look at Tiger, and they talked about that. Tiger's uh, dad always gave him a level of success to meet. And then once you achieve that, he moved to the next level. And you wonder why he's so good. You look at these kids nowadays that are, you know, they're playing 7,000-yard golf courses, and they hit it 215 yards off the tee. Well, good luck. Yeah, what's you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. Let them achieve. Let them move forward. And we all do that. And the concept of par is, is a very odd one when so you really put it all together. Quickly, back to that hole. How you, that hole is about 430, 440, whatever, from the back tees there. I play, you're asking me how I yeah, play it? Just I play, play driver or three wood off the tee? Oh, I need driver. Right. And I just play a cut just off anywhere just left of the uh, of the 150, and that'll leave me maybe eight iron in or whatever. And But it's it's just there's too much that can go wrong in yeah. that hole. So um, you can hit it through the fairway with the driver. That's the that's the issue there. But Well, the thing is everyone has a hole or two. And we've had this discussion, I think, before about how every course, you, if you're your home course, there seems to be a hole that will come up and it'll be your that'll be your horrible hole for the season mm-hmm. for some reason and it can change and i think what it does is it starts to become a self-fulfilling prophecy that you get to that hole every time you go oh man i've just not been playing this hole well but it's what you said about feeling that you're going to be judged so why would you, why wouldn't you just play it a different way you know i've told you the story about playing the 11th at the national i used to get in my head all the time no matter what i hit off the tee i'd be left of that tree on the left and i'd be like enough already and i was i used to hit hybrid then i hit two iron and eventually i was like okay 
What is the club that I can hit that will be somewhere on this fairway so that I can get to the green? Because I just got, I just got tired of hitting it behind the tree. Yeah, but it's unfortunately we are social. Well, we are social animals. The unfortunate part is that we care what people think about us. I mean, actually, you need that to survive in the world. Is to be understood how you fit in with everyone. But what well, socialization? Yeah, absolutely. But the problem is, particularly as guys, is that we don't like it. That you know, let's say in the middle of my routine, I get distracted by something. I start again. And you go, and I'm oh, well, because it ain't the U.S. Open. Or something like that. But if I just stick to what I need to do, then it'll be fine. And it's just putting a bit of armor up around that type of stuff. And that's hard to do. Well, let's get, now I want to, that's a great place to transition to golf clubs. And as I mentioned, Stu uh, Banantine, is it Banantine? Banantine. Banantine uh, is the manager of custom fitting. And everyone at this table, I'm assuming, has gone through the, uh, the lab. Uh, uh, Process. Timmy just did it recently, and I amazing did it experience. Amazing. I did it when we first met. It's the computer thing. It's just so. Tr- it's like if you, ever, you know, if you've seen the movie Tron, that's what you kind of look like. It all these lights on you. It's pretty. Reminds me of Dieter Sprocket. Remember Mike Myers in the eighties? Sure. In the black sort of. You're card. wearing a black suit. Anyway, it's pretty cool <laughs> stuff. And for golf nerds, it's. it's if you ever really, really wanted to see what your golf swing looks like. Oh, it's total geek out. But I want to talk about the psychology of golf clubs uh, from a couple of different things. So Alf teaches people. Everyone wants to hit it further, better, blah, blah, blah. But somewhere in the, in the evolution of the golf club, uh, somebody figured out, I think it was the ping guy, that in order to make golfers feel better about themselves... He just took a seven iron and put a six iron loft in it and went, we can make you hit it further. Which, if you think about it in terms of genius moves, it was Carson Sol- 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 Solheim, 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 Solheim who did that. Like, he had this idea, and people always think it was the, the big fat, it was really the idea of making that loft different. Because all of a sudden now you're hitting your seven iron much further. And you didn't have to go pay Alf a lot of money to figure out how to do that. <laughs> well, yes and no. You know, I mean, we, we are going through this right now. Our new M2 iron, and, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm shilling anything here. but Go ahead. Uh, about as, as about as strong a loft you'll ever see on an iron set. Crazy. And, no, wait a second. Now, there's M2 irons, or I thought, what I thought there was RSI was the new iron. Uh, PSI. 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 M2 is the higher handicap version. And it's crazy strong lofts, like 20, I should know this, but I think it's a 26 degree 6 iron. Your 6 Which iron would, would be 30 degrees, somewhere in so there. So it's Actually, a 4 degree loft. It's like, a, it's like my 5 iron is. Exactly. And, uh-huh. and we're getting into a range, but the problem is, is that if I took your 6 iron and bent it to the same loft... It flies like a five iron. It flies low. It has no spin on it. It doesn't fly the way that it should because of center of gravity location. So the thing with the M2 is it's the lowest center of gravity we've ever put in an iron. It gets the ball straight up in the air, and I've watched it for the last month now. Higher handicap players that shouldn't be able to hit an iron that high Hmm. are hitting an iron that high, but they're doing it with a strong loft, which means it goes farther. A seven iron has to fly like a seven iron to be a seven iron. And that's the one thing that when we start jacking lofts and we start increasing lofts on product, if it doesn't hit the window that you expect it to hit, it's not that golf club anymore. So, mm. But but what, why is that a problem? If, if I'm a guy, 18, 15 handicap, and I normally hit my seven iron 140, four, I don't know, 145. So if I hit my seven iron 140 or 145, and all of a sudden I got my new M2s and I'm hitting it 155, what do I care if it looks like a seven iron or it's not? Because it's got to hit the green, right? It's it, it's it's not a it's not a pure distance club. It's not a long drive contest with your seven iron. It's still a scoring club. Mm-hmm. So if you can hit it, you know, shorter golf club, higher in the air, get it to stop faster, you're going to play better. 
So we know that, you know, with an iron, it's got to be consistent. It's got to be repetitive. You can't have flyers come off the yeah, base. Yeah. you got to have all those things. But if all of a sudden your 7-iron's coming in like a 6-iron, then it's exactly that. Why so not just there, hit a 6-iron? So there's some balance. There has to be some kind of balance it's, it's, between yeah. the way it's supposed to perform. You know, without, without sounding like a total golf nerd, it's got to hit a peak height, and it's got to come down in an angle of descent that matches that club for it to be effective. Well, this is the place for golf nerds. Here's my question to Al. <laughs> You're teaching somebody. And, and at some point, by the way... Um, we still have some time here. At some point, we're going to... Alf's going to try and tell a story. Try and tell a story about... <laughs> how a, difficult the game is. How difficult <laughs> yes. the game is. I'm also going to tell you a story, before we're done, of... Um, well, the most probably the most psychotic golf torturing... Golf club torturing story I have. Then if you're going to take that opportunity, I will. This show will just feature drama, pathos... So, Alf, here's my question, and maybe Stewie weigh in as well. You're teaching somebody, they're starting to make some improvements, they're starting to hit the ball better through the winter or whatever, and they're making some progress. When do you say to them, listen, you've gone as far as you can with these golf clubs? They're McGregor irons from the 1970s. They're, the shafts are too stiff. No, I'm kidding. But, I mean, like, when do you say to somebody, listen, we're now at a point where you will benefit from some new irons hopefully made by TaylorMade you kind of notice it how well it might be that they can't square the face of the ball's not starting out online Uh, their spin rates might be too high or too low Uh, so the technology we have with the flight scope track man uh, you can get you can tell this information as you go and you're like man you know you're swinging it well but the ball's just not coming out how it should Mm -hmm. and light goes off and I say well maybe we should talk to Kieran or the guys at the uh, performance lab and, uh, and let them do the because you're not job there, they But you're do. not there as, as doing. You're not shilling for. You're not. No, no, no. You're not you're, going. You're not trying to sell golf clubs. But you're a guy that's maybe you. You were my, my teacher, and you see, I'm starting to improve. And I just what I you say, gosh, you know, you could really hit it much better if your clubs didn't, or or, or, or if your clubs were correct for you. Uh, I mean, that's another yeah. area I want to talk. And about. That, but that's part of that's part of our job to identify all areas of possible improvement for mm-hmm. the student. And it might not mean you're buying a new set of clubs. It might mean that your line goals are off. Right. And I can't start the ball in line because I got an upright uh, club and I need to flatten that out. You know. And I was in there two days ago, and uh, Kieran, you know, I have trouble. I overhook the ball at times, and we looked at it and Kieran's like, "Try this. Try this club. It's too flat and give you a little stronger shaft." And I put it down. And all of a sudden, I was like, "Holy crap!" Like. I can watch this fade. Mm-hmm. And it, it, was, it was fantastic. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there is a psychology. There's a mental aspect of knowing that your clubs are right for you. Um, and so maybe it's not new clubs, but it's, it's a club. That you get your clubs to fit you properly. It, it's the only sport in the world that we go in with completely ill-fitting equipment, right? You wouldn't go play hockey with size 13 skates if your feet are size 8. We don't, but we do that with golf clubs all the time, and we've been really lucky to work with Alf, work with Sean, work with the team at Glen Abbey, and and you know all of our partners around uh, the area. But we've seen it where people need to get fit before they get lessons. If you're, I mean, I'm not exactly uh, vertically gifted, you know, five I'm not foot sure eight. That's a fine height. That's a fine height. Listen, but, you know, we're here for you. If you're five eight, if you're six four, right? Why would you learn the game with the same golf clubs? And, and why would you go out there with that? So we've worked with ALF and we've worked with the juniors and, and adults and everybody to ensure that they're going to do work with the proper tools. And right. if they're working with ALF or, or anybody at the academy, you, 
their job and their skill set is so much more enhanced when the person that's there has the right equipment. If you're doing something and banging your head on the wall because the, the, the same issue is occurring because the golf club doesn't fit them, they can't do what they're so but good But what at if doing. you fit somebody uh, either, you know, before they work with Alf or Sean or anyone in the, or midway through and all of a sudden their swing changes slightly or, or dramatically in a higher handicap. All of a sudden they got clubs that fit them. Well, you know, you can fit them in terms of their height, their posture, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden they start making improvements. They got these new clubs and then halfway through the season they're not swinging it the same way. Go, go get fit again and you make the decision if it's worth it or not to you. Right. Because, you know, it's expensive, it. but... And we see it, too. I mean, you know, our, our job is to offer people a service that, you know, arguably when we fit someone, we shouldn't see them six months later. If you right. fit people correctly, the golf club shouldn't need to change as their swing changes. Because if you're compensating for what they do, then you're fitting them incorrectly. You should always compliment their habits, their skill set, their size. All of those things are really important. If you just compensate for it, then it defeats what Alf's trying to do with them. It makes them more resistant to change because if their bad golf swing or, or, or an incorrect golf swing is creating a ball flight that doesn't make sense based on an incorrectly fitted golf club, okay. why ever change? So we've been able, very fortunate, and the mat system, again, you know, it's a cheap plug, but it's, it's the best system to fit somebody off of because we can learn things that you can't see with the naked eye. And we're able to fit someone to help them improve. Golf clubs are the first step, but the instruction, the working on your game, the practicing is what's going to really make you the best. Timmy, you want to say something? Well, it must be a real balance between, obviously, skill set, uh, how they swing the golf club, but how much of it skewed just towards uh, their age, their flexibility, their strength? The biggest thing, you know, when, you, when you're getting somebody into a golf club is ensuring that the weight, the length, you know, the, the very small pieces that actually make a huge difference are, are set. And so... We're really lucky to have, you know, a significant amount of uh, shaft options, weight ranges, all of those things. And if you get something in someone's hands that suits them from a weight perspective, far and away probably the most important thing when you're fit. And that does something psychologically, I think. It's like all of a sudden they feel like, well, because I went through this process, I know these clubs are, it's like putting on a jacket that's been tailored properly. Totally. And and for most people, um, you know, the one thing you wish that every golfer could experience their first time ever getting out in the game is hitting one solid. You know, and so many people don't, and and we see it every day, and it doesn't matter if it's because the clubs are wrong for them. Million different, yeah, yeah. You know, and and, but even somebody like Alf. I mean, Alf's talking about an unbelievable player, tremendous. You know, one of the best players in the country, and he talks about how like he hit a shot and went, "Oh, I haven't felt that." Mm -hmm. You know, and for us, that's that little eureka moment that as soon as any handicap player, any skill set player, they hit that one out of the middle of the golf club and go. Eureka! <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's the one thing that everyone needs to experience, and that keeps them going. Well, Tim and I are uh, slightly older than you two put together. Uh, but <laughs> one of the problems when we were kids, I'm not sure if this was your experience, but I got my first set of clubs were hand-me-downs Absolutely. from my dad. And I remember them because they were the McGregor. Like, it was like, they, honestly, there was no, they were like super blades. And I'm like 12 years old. Plus, they cut the shafts, and now they're triple X. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're wondering why... You know, as a kid, you're like, you, you, you develop a golf swing to try and get these clubs that I couldn't probably get airborne now off the ground. And I think for, for the learning of the game, that's probably the biggest difference is that kids are getting clubs that are appropriate field, that they're appropriate, like you said about the, the skating analogy. Like we were all using wrong size skates as kids. Absolutely. And I think one of the greatest things that's happened for kids is this awareness that they have to have correct shafts. I think it was La Jolla uh, had super flexible U.S. kids. La Jolla Jackson? 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. No, I thought your, please, I just thought your please horizons were bigger yeah. than that. No, but, they're not. They're um, not really. Uh, those two companies in particular started coming out with flexible shafts for kids, and suddenly kids could really right. hit the ball because when you cut down a shaft, you've taken like a stiff shaft, and suddenly it's like trying to swing an anvil. Like it's like trying oh, to swing a telephone pole, and it's no fun. And I think that also extended through just golfers in general coming to know. But a key thing, particularly for adults, adult guys, is that their egos are getting in the way. And you play stiff. Oh yeah, I got stiff shafts. You know, and that's a that's an issue that's still around judgment. People well, it's also get, around, you know, guys have a, some reason that they think they should hit their seven iron as far as the guy that they're playing with, and it doesn't make any sense. As a, as a quick joke, years ago, I had a guy walk into a store that I worked at in Winnipeg, and he said, can you change the number on the bottom of my phone? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you kind of caught out, and you're thinking, like, adjust the angle or something, and he goes, no, no, he's like, can you change my seven, <laughs> you know, my five to a seven, because all my buddies make fun of me that I hit five iron when they hit seven. Wasn't and there he, a Seinfeld <laughs> episode where he changed, on his Levi's, he changed the 31 to a 30? That's something? funny. <laughs> what were you going to say there, Alf? Um, I can't. I, you know, I was gonna say, my, the first set of clubs I had as a kid ever. My dad was a used car salesman, and uh, he repossessed a car. And the back of the trunk was a tour bag, an Augusta tour bag with Augusta irons, and uh, that was my first that I ever used. And they were, you know, fit, I was ten years old. And sure. Fit for, you know, some thirty-year-old guy. You, you know what? When it, when a light bulb, a I think, for me is that my I was using like like probably aged 11, 12, 13 using these cut down clubs and then one day because my mom played too I remember just screwing around with her clubs and all of a sudden I could hit them better I was like what? Because they weren't they weren't triple X shafts. Yeah, they were lady shafts, and at thirteen, that was the correct whatever that was for me. You know, it's funny. I uh, I mentioned seven arm. Why is it club fitter uh, Stu Bannatine? Why is it that a lot of people uh, love their seven arm? Like I played with this guy. I told this story. I played this guy last summer at Islington. Great guy, twenty two handicap, about three quarters of the way through the round. He just rips a seven iron, and he just he hits it so good. He goes, "Oh, I go, that's a great swing, great shot." He goes, "Yeah, it's my favorite club." And you asked him, I, and, I, and I said, to him, I, "I told these guys the next day. I said, you know, when I hear I, when I, you don't, I don't hear anyone I play with say, oh, that's my favorite club.' But to him and a lot of handicap players, that it is their favorite club." It, it's the middle club on the set. Yeah. You know, when you really look at it, it's the one, for whatever reason, from a club fitting perspective, the shape changes. It's a little longer heel to toe. It's a more square profile, most commonly. Guys look at it, and for whatever reason, it's just the there's middle club. There's comfort yeah. to it, right? Every guy rolls out and pulls a seven iron. You know, what club do you want to warm up with? Ah, give me a seven iron. That's like, right. It, there's something about that club. When you lay up on a par five with that seven iron, it goes forever for some reason. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's the perfect you middle over-pure club. You overpure it. So talk about uh, DeChambeau. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So how about that? So Bryson DeChambeau with the, the single length golf clubs, which I think they're, yeah, they're almost six iron length. They're all the same. But that's the concept. When when Tommy Armour tried the EQLs back in the day, um, it's it's seven iron, you know, through the cross the board. It's, right. it's Everything looks like a seven iron. Everything's the line goes seven iron length of the seven iron and then different lofts. So who knows? You know, I, for me, I hate seven irons. Huh. My, I hate the shape of them. I hate the look of them. And, and How can you hate day, a seven iron? To this That's day, sad. I, I, as weird you. as it sounds, and you know, I'm in the club business, I see everything. The first club that I look at in every single iron set is a seven iron. And if I don't like the look of the seven iron, the iron set is, I couldn't play it. That's funny. You know, it's, uh, do you have a, do you, Timmy O'Connor, do you have a, do you, I, have, I, well, I have a favorite, I'm not sure if I have a favorite club. I definitely have a, I have a club I don't particularly like. What's yours? My favorite club? 
I, my seven for yeah. sure. Really? Sure, I just yeah, it just feels good, and I can manufacture all kinds of shots with it. I can have a lot of fun with that. You club. know, it's funny the club that most people not that it revolutionized the game, but something that's fairly a fairly recent development, fifteen, eighteen, sixteen years is having is having a hybrid, mm-hmm. hybrid, oh, two yeah. iron, hybrid, three three iron. A lot of guys their irons don't start till five iron, but I have never, <laughs> you know this, I can't stand hybrids because I just snap hook the crap out of them, mm-hmm. and and you finally explain why because they weren't meant they, they were meant to help people shut the club close the club face a little yeah, bit yeah it's getting the ball in the air and, and making the long iron easier to play one of my is, buddies calls my hybrid hot cold because I either pure it or <laughs> I pull hook it off the golf course that's why I put this two iron back in my bag because I can't I can't hit it as purely but I almost never hit it left we a good buddy of mine uh, we used to call his hybrid auto two because he was likely going to hit it out of bounds it was basically an automatic two shot penalty when he pulled that one out but two, love it. It, it was you know what they're they're fantastic there's something that honestly every golfer probably should have in the bag yeah and, I, know. I know. But for better players, they, they tend to go left. It's the only golf club I've ever seen that is uh, basically sold as a non-hook-biased golf club. For the general public, everyone wants draw bias, draw bias, draw bias. But you'll see hybrids that say they don't go left, which is right. the weirdest thing. But I need one of those. Yeah. Do, do you, <laughs> by the way, do, does this ring true with you? Yeah. about Because I, uh, I was warming up one day. I was hitting everything pure. And then I thought, okay, hybrid, here we go. Left, left, left. I went, okay, you will not be in the bag today, son. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just because, it, but what are the guys on tour using? You said, so there must, you said now they've got them so that their that face won't shut. And it's it's a weird club because it's it's got so much benefit to golfers, but it's not an iron. It's not a fairway wood. Guys get stuck in the middle where they want to hit it like a fairway wood. They want to hit it like an iron, but the hybrid, you know, it, it, there's a way to hit them. But there's also smaller, larger, different sole designs, everything that's more, one's more like a wood, one's more like an iron, but you got to hit it the right way. And What about putting a five wood in your bag instead of a, a Five wood, you know what, we see it all the time. People that, that don't hit the ball as high as they should, fairway woods will get the ball in the air faster and, and tend to hit it higher than most rescue clubs. Um, a lot of guys do it, but guys that hit it high, then that's the problem is they hit the five uh, too high, and then they go to the hybrid or they go to the long iron. Alf Callahill is here. He's a, a teacher. He's also the co-founder of the compression board. I didn't even know the compression board had, had been convening. Well, What's it barely that? exists anymore. What so. is the compression board? Uh, it is a uh, tool to help golfers strike down on the ball with their irons. I like it. Period. Okay, well, listen. You, know, I, you could, could be the next tour striker. Why not? Uh, I think that ship has sailed. All right, let's <laughs> bring it back. Um I want to ask this question because, and it'd be interesting to get uh, Alf's uh, thoughts. The uh, new uh, driver comes out, the M1. It's six hundred dollars. If you get a, you know, if you hey, this this will be good for you, eighteen handicappers. If you if you if you want the good shaft, it's seven. No, that's not true. Is that what the good shaft? We got thirty shafts at standard okay. wholesale price. Yeah, retail All price right. at six. So six hundred dollars with the good shaft in it. But uh, my point is, you can spend even more if you want to upgrade your shaft, which if. You know, at some people's level at the table, you want the better shaft. My point is this. Alf, you're, you're charging a certain amount for lessons. You're dealing, dealing with a lot of different people. And all of a sudden, a buddy you're teaching says, Alf, I want a new driver. I want that new M1. And you sort of have to decide what would be better for that person. Uh, more lessons. And again, I'm, I'm not, by the way, I don't mean selfishly. Like, because you're the kind of person I think you care about your students. You would say, yeah. you know, if you would, if you, to be honest with you, you're not going to get much benefit from this $600 purchase. You might get more benefit from a short game seminar or a new putter or. But how do you tell the ego 
The guy wants to get his M1 so he can hit it 20 yards further. So get an M1. Hit it 20 yards further. Why not? <laughs> Have at it. It doesn't bother me either way. I mean, I think if, if, you, if he's actually going to get that 20 yards... Get it if you can afford it. Go get it. I mean, that, what if that's you can't valuable. get it? What if it's not there? Um, then you're, yeah, then you're likely trying to look in the wrong. The wrong Would you places. say that it's there for the majority of guys to give your company another? It, it can be. The driver's unbelievable. Obviously, the customization, the fact that we can change face angles, we can change weight bias, we can change center of gravity. Those things are are wildly helpful because the guy, you know, the era of just pulling one off of a driving range or excuse me off of a, a sh- uh, rack in the pro shop it's not going to go 20 yards farther but if you can adjust it you can get the face where it needs to be you can get the center of gravity it is there and for a lot of people first day out i mean i tell the story all the time first day out we averaged 18 yard distance gains with five people with the m1 mm-hmm. uh, spectacular um, but at the same point you know for us in the fitting lab for for alf and, and other golf instructors you got to be honest with people we see it all the time where, you know, if someone comes in and they swing in a fashion that the physics of the golf shot aren't going to be beneficial, then we walk them out the door and, and say, hey, you know what, here's your driver recommendation, but here's also Alf's information. Yeah. And, right. you know, it would be very beneficial to you to see that. And they do the same thing where, you know, if they've got juniors or, or other students that they know something's wrong, they walk them in our door and say, hey, guys, you know, this guy needs club fitting. We've, we've seen it nonstop. I mean, we had juniors in in the fall where we went, we need to stop everything right now and get you club fit because you need new product. Uh, there's other juniors where we take them through a fit and we go, you know what? Work on your game for another six months and then we're going to fit you. Um, and also kids as they grow. They and grow. It's their, yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, Absolutely. but we've had, you know, one of our, our favorite juniors at Glen Abbey, he could not hit a driver. And instead of fitting him for a driver that might make him think he could, I gave him an old driver and I said, go learn to hit this off the ground. And when you can hit this off the ground, I'll fit you for a driver. I like that. Because he that's actually a, had to learn to get the That's some mystical stuff going on there. Here, take uh, this driver. When you can uh, rip it off the deck and not fade it, come back. Um, <laughs> it's worked. true. It's, it works. You know, and it's, and it's, it's those little things. You've you got to be honest with them from every aspect. There's a weird thing that's happened. I don't know if Timmy found this because you were, just got fit a couple weeks ago. There's something that happened. I feel like if I could just get my indoor golf lap swing <laughs> oh, yeah. outside, because my indoor golf lap swing is ridiculous. Yeah. Like if golf were played at the Glen Abbey Fitting Lab, my numbers are, are fantastic. Because I've literally, Stuart's walked me out of that room onto the range, and all of a sudden it's like, well, that wasn't like I was just hitting it. What, what is there about just, is there a freedom to that? or Because you, because you're not really trying to do anything except hit the wall? Part of it might be the square mat. Totally, hundred percent. I was just going to ah, say the same thing. Yeah, what do you alignment. mean? Well, you, you, alignment. When, I, when I'm in there, I can't hit a driver because I line up square with the mat, and I'm trying to hit the line on the thing, and I hit everything left. I just can't. But as soon as I step away and say, "Listen," when I actually aim on the golf course, mm-hmm. I aim a little more left and open up a little bit. Yeah. And I do that in the lab. Now all of a sudden, I can hit my straighter ball yeah. flight. We've that makes sense. We've seen it at Glen Abbey. I mean, beautiful driving range, but slightly kidney shaped. The tee deck. And you watch these guys, and they rip it in the lab, and then you take them out on the driving range, and all of a sudden they're aiming right of the middle of the range or left of the middle of the range, and and their alignment goes out the window. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're blocking, or you're blocking everything, you're pulling everything. You know, we uh, I used to practice as a you know when I was playing, and I would work my way through the golf course, but instead of saying, oh, I'm going to draw it off this tee, I would align myself in a similar fashion to how I felt I would set up on that tee deck. So if hmm. it was across the range to the right to the left, and it's amazing how much I cannot aim left if I feel like I'm on the right side of a tee and hitting a draw from 
you know, a, a dog leg left, but I feel like I'm aiming left, I can't hit that shot. So I used to practice that all the time to get Which more most people don't. They, they sort of sit in one spot. Middle of the range and rip it. And rip it. Well, it's based on your patterns. Those things that your brain is used to seeing and feeling. Like, everybody has a hole, probably at their course, where they think, you know, this T is aimed off into the woods or something. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work for them. And it's, again, it's patterns. It's things that we see all the time. And that you don't notice those things. Yeah, absolutely. And so, the, so what happens is, is that we get on the golf course after having spent all this time in the range or indoors and the feedback we're getting all the information our brain is taking in is is different mm-hmm. um you know i was going to use the national as an example the way fazio built the course is at six thousand yards it's still a very difficult golf course but at six thousand yards those t decks actually aim you for they they most of the front six thousand sixty four sixty six hundred decks are aimed at trouble or more so. The longer, yeah. the, as you get back in the golf course, now you're actually aiming on the fairway because he's saying, listen, if you're going to play it at 7,100 yards or 1,600 yards, we're going to, you will give you a better aiming point. But I used to say that to people, like they'd, I'd see their, their aim, I'd go, you know, you're, you're basically aimed at the bunker. But what they do is they see the tee box square. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, I say, just step back a second because that's what the architect's done. He's aiming you towards where the trouble is. That was one of the hard parts of golf. Is it's, it takes a <clears throat> a high level of awareness to be to know what's going on that way. And most of us, it's just this is the way we play. You you peg it in the ground and you aim here. When you're aware of what's going on, then it's like, oh, I get it, hundred uh, percent. I'm aimed here. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But again, to come back to that judgment place, most of us are just in this place of we're kind of going by rote. And this is what we're supposed to do. I'm supposed to make par. I'm supposed to hit driver here instead of just kind of just taking it in and making decisions on what's comfortable and what's going for you. Go ahead. I was going to say, so when you, uh, Alf, when you're, t- when you, when you're with a student and, um, you know, they come to you and they say, listen, I'm, I'm playing pretty well. Uh, you know, I feel like my clubs are fit now. Um, I would like to hit it further. Uh, now, is that when you might say to somebody like Stu, hey, Stu, my, my guy's hitting it pretty good. He's a 12 now, handicapped. He's starting to get some... Will you, will you say, listen, there is some extra yardage in this guy's golf yeah. swing. I mean, if there's a definite pattern there that you can see, and you're like, you know what? If you were properly fit, you'd, get, you'd gain you know, benefit of extra distance for sure. And that's easy. Then that's who doesn't a, that's want an that? Easy, exactly. Well, right? nowadays, too, with all the launch monitors that we have, you know, Alf's wonderful using the flight scope. Sean uses TrackMan. Everyone has systems to measure things. And if a guy's hitting it very well and his launch angles are bad or his spin rates are bad, it's an easy fix to say, hey, go see the guys at TaylorMade, go get fit, go get a new driver, and we're going to knock that spin rate down, and then there's distance to be gained. And you the, know? there's tools where, like a launch optimizer, and you show them at your speeds, at the quality that you're currently hitting it, mm-hmm. uh, smash factor-wise, you could benefit by bringing down your launch or getting higher launch, lower spin rate. I was hanging you out with hit it twenty yards farther. One of your students them. the other day, um, I think it was your students, maybe it was Browns, but he he was there, and I guess the teacher had left, and he was playing with the launch monitor himself. And I was just kind of wandered over because I wanted to check a couple things. And he was so it was interesting because this guy, I'm going to say maybe. 15 solid 14 16 handicap he was talking about angle of attacks oh, and yeah. spin rates like it was insane I thought of myself 20 years ago this guy wouldn't have he wouldn't have had he would he probably would have been playing left-handed clubs <laughs> he, 
he was telling me about it. I said, so what are you working on? Because uh, I just was curious. He was saying, well, you see this? And he was showing me, taking me through, <laughs> taking me through the, the compression or whatever. And I was like, how do you even freaking know this, dude? Why do you know this? It's a gift and a curse at the same <laughs> time. Right, Absolutely. Guys. You can get yeah. too deep. Like, get, he was way too deep for where he was. But he was like, I said, dude, congratulations, because he's just teaching me stuff. Um, with a few minutes left, uh, Okay, I'm gonna. T- you, do you want to start with? I want. I want Alf to tell the story, but only. Why you, what's your worst uh, golf uh, torture nightmare? Golf <laughs> golf club. Very very easy. Uh, it was about six seven years ago when I was struck poisoned by the Shankosaurus. <laughs> and he's, by the way, he's not talking like this once. Like it was like crazy. It wasn't with you, pal. No, but we'll, I've, we'll seen, I've seen the remnants of it. And we'll save that story. No, I was had looking forward to a game with my mother and my father and my brother at uh, their home course, Sunningdale. And we managed to get a tee time first off the tee. And um, so we go and but there's these guys behind us, these rabbits, and they're right on our tail. And, you know, we're just trying to have this family game, but they're right on us. And I'm starting to get a little aggravated. And so we come to this, I think we're fifth or sixth hole, and um, I hit my drive into the rough, and then I pull out the wedge, shank. I hit another, so I go up and get it, hit another shank. I just take the club, and for some reason I just bang it against my golf bag. The head on my driver just <laughs> lops off like I've just it just lops and falls sickeningly, sickeningly to the ground. I've killed my driver, and I'm playing with my mother and my father. I was just in this place of Did shame and rage. I don't know what they saw, but I just I just picked up the head of the golf bag, stuffed it in the bag, and they dropped to the next tee. And I'm like, I'm pacing around the tee going, what the hell should I do? Should I just go home? Should I play or whatever? And I finally just went... Oh, chill, man. You just your mother and your father. I didn't. So, so, mom, dad, I'm sorry. And, and this and, wasn't when you were 12. This was like last year or something. No, no. This oh, was okay. about 10. No, this was about 12 <laughs> years ago or so. Wow. No, actually, no. Six or seven. No, he says, right. yeah. So you're still and, in your late 40s. Yeah, my mom just goes, you know, it happens to everybody. And, you know, when your mom gives you a note like that, oh, it's okay. And we had a great time. And I just remembered the key piece was... It was out there to play golf with my mother and my father and have a great time. And we did. I love that you got that lesson after you killed your driver. <laughs> That's the but best I part. I killed my driver. I did. Um, <laughs> what about you? Do you have a uh, helicopter in the pond oh. story? Everyone does. You know what? I, I, I remember years ago, my dad won this putter in a tournament. It was so oh, you cool. Know what you the, the putter was like a graphite shaft, right? And it was the neatest thing. And I thought, ah, oh, this is so cool. And then... I remember missing a putt and sort of giving it almost like the 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 um, Woody Austin on the head, but I kind of pulled it on both sides and bent the thing and, yeah. and almost snapped the putter right over the top of my head. So I had this sort of C-shaped putter by the time it was done right over the top of my head there, and I thought, well, that's a hard one to explain. But I, I you know what, I, I could I could tell you, I've broken more golf clubs in in so many different fashions. How about the? Uh, have you ever done this? Have you done the club in the bush or the club in the tree? Can't get it down. Oh, I I have. Easy. A good buddy of mine threw Tons. his putter threw his putter into the tree off the uh, seventh hole of the North Nine at St. Charles, and we came up, and he's you know now he's throwing a shoe at it, and oh, then yeah. he throws his driver, and the driver gets stuck in the tree, and then oh, the wedge God. gets up, so we had to let like three groups play through because we were you know basically 
had to call the grounds MacGyver crew. the club out of a tree. He had to call the grounds crew with the the big long you know uh, tree pruning thing to get the thing down eventually. <laughs> but uh, we had a nice seven iron up in a tree at Old Gables when I was about eleven years old from a good friend of mine, Jamie, and uh, it was up there for about eight years. And we could see it. There's no leaves. But we the trees are like grown around it. Eight everything. years, it was like up there. vines going down the yeah, exactly. shaft. Um, it was unbelievable. Um, Squirrels how about play this? on it. I, I've, I've tried to explain this to my uh, uh, on-air life partner, Fred, where I have, I don't know where, when this started, uh, where I uh, stopped wanting to break clubs and I started wanting to hit myself, mostly with putters, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> where you miss a putt and I would slam it against my shin to the putt too, so hard it would put me on the ground or I'd smash the wedge into my toe. And Fred would be like, why would you do that? Like, what's the point? I go, I, I don't know. I, I just get so mad. You want to just beat? Have you, have you ever hit yourself? A lot of times. Okay, yeah. I, I so got it's it. not that's, just that's me. Actually, that's you, my, new, my new club throw yeah. is, is hold the club sort of near the head and then hit yourself in the back as hard as you can. Oh, with the grip yeah. I've never done that. You yeah, try. It's good. It's good. It's, it's Where quiet. Where you just go, like over here? No, the other way. So, so hold the head down kind of near your hip and then quick snap up behind oh, and then yeah. whack yourself in the back. See, with the, this okay. show just, I mean, this show has tips for everybody. <laughs> I love this. But the good one is, is it's quiet. Yeah. And people don't necessarily notice it. It's ah, sort of out there, right? But yeah. then you're done. You know, there's your little snap, and okay, now I'm. I, uh, I've See, done that, that a couple that's times. It's practical. I like that. Where I've taken the edge of a lob wedge and just bash it against my toe. And I'd be like, yeah. and as soon as it happens, you're like, I- I'm in a lot of pain. But <laughs> actually, I'm so, I'm so embarrassed to tell anyone why I'm limping. Actually, now. in fairness, I did break one over, uh, sort of whacked myself in the ankle and snapped one that way, too. Yeah. So well, after I broke it, I realized that's kind of dumb. So if I just hit myself in the back. If my memory were better, I'm sure I'd have a thousand things. Okay, a couple, uh, and you, of course, uh, Obi-Wan. Alf's, Alf's never Alf level, broken no. anything since he you know, went to that mountaintop. Do you uh, story do, time? Do you ever? Oh yeah, I want to hear that. Okay, so you've never hit yourself in a club with a club. Lately? No, I'm sure I have. Okay. I'm, I'm, I have. Yes. So Alf, um, when Alf was on last time, now with his second appearance on Swing Thoughts, uh, he was telling us this story off there. Now we can't, we don't want to give anything away, but just sort of a roundabout. It was kind of like a great story about how obsessed golfers can be, or frustrating the game can be. Yes, and as a teacher. Um, you know, we get uh, emails and, and chats about the golf games and how they're going throughout the uh, season. And this one gentleman who, you know, I'd call a friend. He's a good guy, loves his golf, works hard at it. He is about a 15 to 20 handicap, and I will say that he swings it and hits it well enough to be a high single digit. Anyways, the season goes on, and he'll have the ups and downs. And I get an email from him one day, and it's five six paragraphs it's long and it's all about how he's struggling so much that he wants to get rid of his membership stop taking lessons give up the game of golf completely and that's concerning as a teacher you know not because he's you know the money or like that just you know the guy loves the game and the game should be fun um so I chat with them. And That's like, a letter no bowler has ever written anybody. It, it, it's, it's hard to read. It's, no, but I'm seriously. And, and no, I'm, no, one, no badminton player has written yeah, a, coach, exactly. a letter to their coach going, I think I'm going to give up badminton, right. Jerry. And, and, you know, you feel like part of the blame is on you as a coach, right? Possibly, um, sure. So anyway, so, you know, we say, listen, let's, let's give it a couple of weeks and we'll, we'll spend some more time and just see what happens. But let's try to emotionally manage ourselves better um, and see what happens. So Even your voice gets calmer I, as you tell it. I, I get an email a week later with the headline, he's back, baby. 
He's back. <laughs> so I'm excited. This is great. Like, he's back. Like, so I read the email. He's like, I'm on the range. I'm striping. I'm hitting my three wood 260. Um, everything's going great. I'm, I got a game tomorrow, so I'll let you know when, how it goes. So I'm obviously looking forward to the next email. And he emails me back. He says, I might give up the game. <laughs> what? So I, as I read it, he says, you know, I'm one under through eight holes. A 15 handicap, approximately one under through eight holes. Hits a drive on nine that a big snipe hook. And that would be his miss. And it completely fell off the map from there. So he went from shooting probably like an even par on the on the front, let's say, to 55 on the back. Hindenburg round. Right? Only because of that one shot on that ninth tee that just switched him from playing great to yeah. this is my this is my new me. That's the the you're only two swings away from right? losing completely exactly. losing your mind. And it, it was just one, one swing. Themes. That's right. So, you know, so I it was funny actually. He wrote me an email about that round that was um big time in the negatives about everything was negative. So I emailed him that same few paragraphs back but switched everything back into how he could have reacted mm-hmm. and could have seen things if if he chose to see it better. Um, I didn't get an email back after that, but <laughs> I still teach him. He's, he's a great guy, and he's coming along. But I think he did. We talked about that after. He did appreciate it. So, you know, I get it. Like, I know what you're saying, but I, I think I need to work on my swing. When in actual but fact, that's still, such a great – that's the archetypal uh, guy that we could help. But that can be helped by the show because, and, and when you've reminded me that when you told the story off here, anybody that can be one under through eight holes, it's not your golf swing. The fact that he's a 15 handicap and could possibly shoot even par nine holes has nothing to do with how he mechanically moves the club through the ball. It's the fact that he shot 55 after that is, is everything that this show is. And the, the unfortunate challenge for, for me is that whenever I try to talk about that emotional side of it and just managing expectations, seeing yourself differently as a golfer um you, the conversation switches quickly back to well let's look at this my swing i feel like i'm doing this and yeah yeah well yeah. it's 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 tough and, and and tim's talked a lot about this where if you're not willing to recognize it's not even about see i think a lot of guys men in particular get scared about the emotional part of the, their attachment to things in golf but even just a couple of mechanical things even hydrating better doing some things to your body to physiologically change the way you feel will change your mental outlook yeah, and there's also things like one of the best things I, I learned this from Carl Morris was have a post-shot routine. Mm-hmm. As soon as the shot's done, you could have a reaction, you could have a motion, you could do Seuss thing, hit yourself in the back, whatever it is. Which is I'm going to go. This is my new go-to. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> the, the one lasting impression is everyone's going to be whacking themselves in the back. Going, hey, thanks. It never even occurred to me. That. Yeah. So that's yeah, awesome. you could, so you could do, so let it go. Maybe even think, okay, I was out of balance. You could even think analytically. But then you have a shot, post-shot routine. You put the club in the bag, whatever whatever it is your thing, the shot's done. Mm-hmm. You are done with that. And then you mm-hmm. proceed to get back talking to the Jays or, or whatever. And I think that post-shot routine thing is really helpful for people to respond in a better way. Well, before you can have a deeper conversation, which is you know probably what that person and a lot of people that are frustrated by golf need, there's a, a mechanical... You know, this, our guest last week, Rosa, uh, um, she has this great uh, p- philosophy of if you just change your posture, you don't even have to know why. It will make you feel better. Yeah. If you make sure you hydrate through a round of golf and if you physiologically can change your body, there's so much that happens that, that clears your mind. 
Yeah. And you can have that conversation before you say, listen, dude, you might want to stop losing your freaking mind. We try. But there, there's there's another psychological term, cognitive dissonance. Uh, dissonance, dissonance yeah. Right? And basically it's the conflict between how you see yourself and what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And it's uncomfortable, so people go back to their comfortable state. Like Timmy says, and patterns. I think he needs to see himself as the golfer that could be let's say minus one through eight or shooting whatever when he he doesn't he sees himself as the guy that is going to hit that hook mm-hmm. and he's going to make his double bogeys and then we can chat about it later and that's what happens yeah, you're always you're always waiting for the bad one the higher handicap that you are and you know you look at a pj tour player and and you know very fortunate to spend some time with some really really great players in my day they hit a bad shot and they know that that's not the normal that that's the exception and then they just go on to the next one and go well that bad one is not a reflection on how i play golf I did something wrong. I'm going to go back to what I'm trained to do. You know, dad used to always tell me amateurs practice to hit a sh- or until they can hit a shot. Pros practice until they can't. Mm. Right. They, they, they know they're going to hit it the same way all the time. And so if they hit a bad one, it's like, oh, I hit a bad one. Okay. A few seconds of anger. If there's that, I moved my next one and I go back to what I'm trained to do for the higher handicap player. As soon as they hit the bad one, glass breaks, they go back to mm-hmm. like the, the, I got to change everything. Yeah. Something's wrong. Yeah. Something's wrong with it. You know, I, before you I just, that's another thing about golfers. I read this years ago. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's shoemaker, but they're the fl- most golfers have this philosophy. There's something wrong with my golf swing. Absolutely. If it I could just fix fixed. it. Yep. Mm-hmm. I would be a golfer, a better golfer. And and most golfers play from birth to death with the idea there's something wrong with them, which is so weird. Yeah, again, and a lot of that, there's a bunch of different things, but one of those key pieces, again, is around judgment. And it's about what I should do. I should be able to hook the ball with this club. I should be able to make par, as opposed to knowing what is. And that's a key piece of around awareness mm-hmm. is is not what should be, but what is. What's the reality? And if there's one book I could recommend to uh, to the faithful listeners of Swing Thoughts is The Inner Game of Tennis. By Galloway, yeah. By Galloway. I've read it. That's the key one right there. And that he talks so much about if we can suspend judgment, whether a shot's bad, whether I'm a good golfer or not, and just learn to be tuned into what is actually going on wow it's amazing what can happen but you know and and i i agree totally but there are just like going out to hit wedge shots and practicing your putting there are things you can do just like meditating every day whatever it is that can they call that the practice of the practice of yoga the practice of meditation Mm -hmm. the practice of mindful awareness um but it's something you need to practice so that when you do have a shot, before you slam yourself in the back with one of your clubs. Um, <laughs> it's a grip. <laughs> uh, Alf, uh, as always, uh, great stuff. When, the, when we have Alf back, he will now be in. He's the clubhouse leader in terms of appearances. Uh, great job. Alf, CallowHillGolf.com. Does that still work? Can I buy an old compression still, board still, on Kijiji? Uh, um, I think you can, actually. And I got 2,000 more in my garage if you want one. You just let me know. <laughs> Bring one over. Bring one over. Uh, <laughs> guests of the guests of Swing Thoughts receive a compression board <laughs> courtesy of Alf Callahill Golf. Uh, TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Pretty uh, impressive stuff there at TaylorMade, people. Um, as good a golf club as you're going to see. And, and I, you know, it's funny. I've sent people to Stu and... And, and I will no longer allow a friend of mine to say, should I buy this driver? Uh, I, I, I go, yeah, buy it. But if you're not going to get it fit, might as well just don't bother. And like, that, what's your point? And that fitting process is absolutely amazing. Uh, 
they have that avatar that comes up and you see your swing. Uh, this combination of Kieran, what's Kieran's last name? I'm sorry. McAlevey. Yeah. The combination of his expertise, the technology, it's such a very cool experience. You totally geek out on it. It's fabulous. Yeah, and, and that's the message, really. If you're going to buy new clubs this spring and, and you haven't ever had yourself fit properly, just you know, do yourself a favor. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one last story. That every time somebody from the national, whatever, they recall me getting this angry. So I've got uh, there isn't a pond on the golf course. I may be exaggerating, but then most of the ponds on the golf course have wedges of mine. <laughs> Definitely on three, a couple on three. Like, it was weird because I would, I would early in the season, lob a wedge in there, and then I would just have to walk. Every, so the rest of the season, every time I walked by from the three green to four T, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a freaking wedge in that pond. But the worst one for me was I was trying to get better with my mental game, and I was trying to hold it in, but I was still a pretty <laughs> aggravated person on the golf course. And one game, particularly my fiber, and every time I hit my fiber on that day, I just pull hooked it, had a couple opportunities to hit good shots, didn't with the five iron. And so I finished the round. No one really knew that I was that angry. Finished the round. Uh, the kids come and get my club to put them away. I go, hang on a second. I take the five iron out of the bag. Go have a beer. Hang out with my buddies, say goodbye to everybody, get the five iron, and take it for a ride in my car. As we're driving down Pine Valley, I open the door, and I ground the five iron into the cement, and I said this, huh? How'd you like that? How's that feel? That was, that was in my late 30s. I think that was Kyla Food who did that with a putter or something in the 40s. You're not the first. So I, but, I, but it was like the weird part of that story is it was like maybe an hour after I'd finished. And I, was, I couldn't wait to get it on. I kept saying, okay, five iron. Yeah. How you, you like Wait, it? you wait. How, how you like me now? It was in fear. Oh, yeah. Don't mess with Howard. Exactly. I, don't, I think the five iron learned its lesson. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, Tim O'Connor, golf.ca. Uh, Humbleandfredradio.com. And you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, leave a comment, put a rating, we'd appreciate it, and we'll, uh, I guess we'll see, uh, by the way, if you're downloading this this week, Tim and I, is Casey going to make this, by the way? Uh, 50-50, I think, if he's there or not. All right. For the uh, Toronto Golf Show. Toronto Golf Show. Tim and I are going to be on, uh, we're not on the main stage, it's actually uh, just outside of the washrooms, it's like a, a, a couple kitchen, of, I think. it's a couple of chairs, we're going to be standing on a couple of chairs near the washroom, thank yeah. you. If you feel sorry for us, come on over. That's right. Uh, so it's one. One o'clock on Friday, one fifteen on Saturday. Come and meet us. Oh yeah, it's fun, fantastic. Swing thoughts Chance live. Chance to meet a legendary oh, broadcaster. Exactly. People have met me. Trust me, they want to meet me again, especially after that story. All right, we'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. Competition in other places.